0: to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Stephen, and today we continue on with our look at Madman by Mike and Laura Allred. This is part two, which means we're talking about Madman number two from Tundra that came out in April of 1992. Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me back up a second and try to summarize what happened in issue number one, which we talked about last time. We're introduced to this guy, Frank Einstein. We don't know a lot about him. He was brought back to life. He wears a costume and an entire bodysuit, white bodysuit that covers him head to toe. There is no skin showing at all. It's got an exclamation bolt on the front of it. He seems to be psychic. His friend, Dr. Boyford, the man who brought him back to life, was killed, apparently at the hands of Mr. Mondstadt, but Frank got to him before he fully died. Dr. Boyford told him to freeze his body, to go to Buzztown, find Dr. Gillespie Flem, and with his help and with one of Boyford's journals, they will be able to bring Boyford back to life. And so he sets off to find Dr. Flem. He ends up getting mixed up in a... Attempted murder. He rescues the mayor of Buzztown, and it's after that rescue and the mayor goes back into town that Frank continues his journey on up the mountain to find Doctor Flem. We open the issue with a great splash page of Frank on the side of the road. He's he's riding a bike. He had met a woman in the previous issue when he went to see Doctor Flem at Doctor Flem's house. Doctor Flem was not there. He's up on the mountain but a, a woman was there covered head to toe in bandages and she, she loaned Frank her bicycle. So we have this great splash page of Frank standing there on the side of the road with the bicycle next to him and he's having a bit of a pee. As he's doing this, we are, as this is happening, we are given a look into Frank's journal entries. He likes to, he likes to write in his journal and I want to read this particular bit out to you because I really quite enjoyed this. He says, The concept of time gives me the willies. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. Jesus Christ gets born and the world starts counting years. How'd they get everyone to agree on that? Who first started counting time anyway? I should have paid more attention in school. So once he's done having his pee, he continues up the mountain and he comes across an abandoned drive in movie theater. And he uses a ladder to climb up the screen. Quite near the top of the screen, actually. So he can kind of get a look around, get his bearings, get the lay of the land. He sees a cabin and he quickly deduces that that must be where Dr. Flem is. He's about to get down off the ladder when suddenly this zombie-like creature, whom Frank encountered in the previous issue, just comes out of nowhere and grabs the ladder and pulls it out from under him. Frank crashes to the ground and the zombie flees getting caught in a barbed wire fence and Frank approaches he's calm he's hoping to talk to the creature but it pulls itself free leaving its arm behind Frank for some reason he picks up the arm and it just melts in his hand it just turns into this mushy goo and falls to the ground Frank to his credit just ignores all this and he proceeds on to the cabin the cabin appears to be deserted at first and he he approaches and he presses his face to the glass of the main front window. And he's looking in at the cabin when a man with a shotgun sneaks up behind him, demanding to know what Frank wants. The man, is, is, he looks a little odd. He's wearing a full bodysuit as well. His is dark. It doesn't cover his face. It, it, it's more like what a, like a wetsuit that a scuba diver would wear. And we quickly learn that this is Dr. Gillespie Flem. And he wants to know why Frank is wearing such ridiculous clothing. Frank, however, ignores the question and he fills Dr. Flem in on why he's come to find him. And it's actually quite funny because as he's standing there with this shotgun, staring down the double barrels of a shotgun, he just blurts out, Please trust me. I'm a friend of Dr. Boyford. He's dead in my freezer and sent me to find you so you could bring him back to life. He also tells Flem about Mondstadt and the journals. And Flem, he takes it all in stride. This is just all old hat to him. Dead people in freezers. They need him to be brought back to life. Eh, I can do that. So he agrees to help. We find out that he was also a part of whatever project it was that Boyford and Monstat were involved in. But he could tell right away that Monstat was kind of an evil thug. And he urged Boyford to leave. He said, I'm going to leave. I'm not doing this anymore. I want you to come with me. But Boyford would not leave. But he tells Frank that he has something up at the cabin that he's got to finish up before he can leave. And he tells Frank to wait out there in the grass, like 50 yards or so from the cabin. Tells him to wait there. Don't move from that spot. He's going to wrap things up and then they'll go to Snap City. So Frank sits there in the grass waiting and he he pulls out of his satchel a copy of Catcher in the Rye and he's sitting there reading it. But after a while, he begins to wonder what Dr. Flem is doing back there, why he wanted Frank to wait out there specifically. And he decides he should probably go see what's going on. But as he's approaching the cabin, it explodes. Not enough to destroy the cabin, but, you know, an explosion is an explosion. Am I right? So Frank races into the cabin to see if Flem is okay. And he finds him in a bathtub reciting into a small recorder. He is, uh, he, it's like the explosion was part of this experiment that he's doing. And he's, he's recording his thoughts. And it all seems to do with some sort of new serum. That's what he's talking about. The new serum seems to have worked out something. I I can't quite remember. Anyway, that's when Frank notices that the suit that Flem was wearing is in tatters, and the skin beneath it is all gross, and it looks a lot like that zombie he encountered earlier. Flem tells Frank that it's an infection. The suit was designed to slow down the spread of the infection to his head, but now that the suit is in tatters, the infection's going to the man's head. You hear what I'm saying? So he starts wrapping himself up in specially treated bandages, and he tells Frank his story. Flem's research, his, his field of study was cloning, and he cloned himself a number of times. There were problems with the clones, and so he'd been working on a serum to control their abnormal cell growth, but then one of the clones bit him, infecting him, and then the clones escaped, and it's actually quite a—it's it's really an amusing panel. I'll try to—I'll th- I'll see if I can remember to put it up on Instagram— after this episode's out because it's like phlegm is just standing there and his clone is on the ground his clone is like sitting on the ground biting him on the back of his thigh or something it's it's or or even his calf maybe it's really funny so after the clones escaped several of them they disintegrated in the sun but four of them survived and they're camped out in a mine up on the mountain and he tells frank that they either need to be saved or destroyed and frank agrees to help. But Flem only allows him to do so if Frank agrees to follow his every instruction without question. He's very adamant about that and he gets into his face every instruction without question. And Frank agrees, and that's when Flem tells him that Frank must sever my head from my body. Frank, uh, he actually quite, <laughs> he responds to this very well. He looks kind of shocked. Flem is like right up in his face when he's saying it, sever my head from my body. And Frank's kind of, he looks kind of scared and shocked and he's kind of reeled back just a bit and he just says, okey-doke. And that's where we get this wonderful scene where they go out to a tree stump with an ax and a bucket full of chemicals and Flem kneels down and he places his head on the stump and Frank places the bucket on the ground there next to the stump and he swings the ax and plop, Flem's head falls into the bucket. So Frank races back to the cabin holding the bucket and he puts Flem's head in this base. Basically, it's like a modified fishbowl, and there's tubing in it, and some of it's connected to Flem's head, and nothing happens. And so Frank is just like worried. He's just freaking out because he thinks, "Well, I killed him. I just killed a man. I killed another person." Because if you remember from the first issue, it started out. We learned that he had killed somebody, and he he doesn't really take that lightly. He's very worried. But then with a loud broop Flem is alive. So now they're ready to head off to the mine and catch one of the clones to test the new serum on. But first, Flem has Frank make some peanut butter and honey sandwiches to use as bait for the clones. Make a snack for yourself as well, Flem says. We don't know how long we'll be down there. And as he's making these sandwiches, we get a close up of the table, the countertop or whatever that he's making the sandwiches on. And there's like spilled honey on the countertop. And there's ants on the counter. And Frank tells Flem, you know, you ought to do something about these ants. And he squishes one of them with his thumb. And then from one of the other ants, very small lettering is coming out of the top of the ant. And it says, the horror. It's just those little things that Alred would include in these stories that make me love these so much. So once in the mine, Frank realizes that he's left his jacket behind. The leather jacket that that woman that was covered in bandages from the first issue, you know, who was living at Flem's house, she'd given him a leather jacket because it gets chilly up on the mountain. He left it back in the cabin. He regrets not having it with him because guess what? It's a bit chilly down in the mine. So they trek deep, deep into the mine and they soon find where the clones have been hanging their hats. There's a large underground chamber in the mine where rocks hang from ropes and look like planets. They also find a woman down there. She is in much disarray and she tells them that the clones have kidnapped her and that they're chasing her and sure enough, here come the clones chasing the woman. So they realize that their first priority here is to get this woman out. So they 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 make their escape, but the clones start chucking rocks at him and one of the rocks hits Frank in his hand and he drops the glass bowl that has Flem's head in it and it crashes to the ground and shatters open. And so Frank grabs the head. He dumps the sandwiches on the ground, distracting the clones. And then Frank and the woman flee with Flem's head. They make it back to the cabin and Frank quickly fills the bathtub with the same chemicals that were in the glass globe. And sure enough, Flem survives when they throw the head in. And that's when Frank leaves the woman at the cabin to watch over Flem as he drives the golf cart back into town, into Buzztown to get some supplies. He's making his way around the general store with a cart when he overhears two women talking about how the secondhand store had been broken into and that the mayor's niece, Bonnie, who had been working at that very same secondhand store, had disappeared after she'd locked up for the night. We also see, as he's driving away with the supplies that he's just bought, in the background, two men with rifles and masks running out of the bank. I wonder what that's all about. Do you think we'll find out? Maybe. Back at the cabin, Frank places Flam into a small fish tank he'd purchased at the general store and then loaded down with a backpack full of stuff, he heads back to the mine, remembering this time to take the jacket. Once in the mine, Frank begins setting up a trap. Once he's all done with that, all he can do is wait. As he's waiting, he decides to write some more into his journal. And the way Alred shows this in the book, we're actually reading the journal entries as Frank is setting the trap up, and it's not until after we've read the journal en- entries and Frank has, has, has you know, f- finished completing what he's doing, that's when we see him sit down and start writing in his journal, and we get, we get the end of what, what he's writing at that point. I, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was clever. But I want to also read you this part from his journal, because I really enjoyed this as well. I think the journal entries just do a really good job of kind of explaining who Frank is. So he says, Sometimes I wish I could cuss. There are times cussing might be appropriate. One thing I find curious is that I have a hard time saying the, you know, the F word. Heck, I can't say it at all. I notice a lot of people can say it quite casually, like an exclamation mark. If I even start to say it, a roadblock drops down in my mind and I nearly bite off my tongue. Maybe my upbringing. It's strange how much strength words carry. A word that by definition, Describes an act of union and love becomes a word used out of hatred and anger. Love. If only words were just that. Only words. Frank's pretty deep. So eventually, Frank gets tired of waiting and he sets off to find the clones. And he goes to the cavern where the clones like to chill. And he finds more than planets hanging from the ceiling. There is also what appears to be a pyramid the size of a house. And Frank marvels at what the clones have built. But soon he's battling the clones. And when one of them pries a massive stone slab from the pyramid and drops it atop Frank, he quickly learns that it's all made from papier-mâché. Frank finds himself losing the fight. And it isn't long before the clones, who are now down to three, drive him off of an underground cliff. And he falls into this river down below. And he's washed out of the mountain. But as he's pulling himself from the river, or at least as he's Clawing and climbing and crawling his way out of the river, who should be waiting for them there at the bank, but the bandaged covered woman from the previous issue, who had been at Dr. Flem's house back in Buzztown, And the first thing she says to him is, "Hey, do you still have my jacket?" And he tells her, "Oh, sorry, I kind of lost it back there." And she's like, "Well, isn't that just great?" So she offers him her hand to help pull him to his feet, and as he takes it, he has a momentary psychic impression, and it's of her face minus the bandages and he can see that she is covered in tattoos of stars and planets and because he sees this and because it happens so suddenly he just blurts out Spaceface Spaceface she explains that her name is actually Gale not Spaceface she'd been assisting Flem with his experiments and his clones before they had turned all gross and icky and nasty looking they were actually quite gentle and childlike and eager to learn but then they read a book on tattooing and held her down, covering her body in astronomical-themed tattoos. That was, she says, the first sign of their deterioration. The bandages she wears are soaked in chemicals of her own design and are meant to eventually remove the tattoos from her body. So Gail, it seems, she had come up the mountain to see how she could help them. She found Flem and Bonnie at the cabin, and Flem asked her if she would help Frank at the mine. And so she goes to help. She arrived just in time to see Frank go over the cliff. That's when the clone saw her and they gave chase. She ran out of the, she's running out of the mine. But then that's when she sees the clone that's chasing her is distracted by the trap that Frank set up, which was basically a tarp on the ground. And on the other end of the tarp is a cardboard cutout of Marilyn Monroe doing that famous pose she did where she's standing over the grate and the air is coming up and blowing her dress up. And the clone is like, Whoa, what is that? And he goes right for it. And then the tarp, you know, turns into like a net and covers him up and, in, in, you know, basically like a bag. So they get the clone back to the cabin and they find that Flem has narrowed the antidote serum down to two possible mixtures. Gale injects the clone with the first and it explodes. All right, then, Flem says, I've narrowed it down to one. But here's the thing. The clone didn't like explode into nothingness. It turned into a shapeless blob and it slithers quickly out of the cabin. Frank chases it back to the mine, trying to get it to stop and turn around. But since he's really in no hurry to touch the thing, he can only, you know, kind of stand there and watch helpless as it crawls away into the mine. Frank at that point gives up and he turns around to find two men in masks holding rifles. So you remember in the previous issue, when Frank was hitchhiking, this truck pulls over. They act like they're going to let him in and then they don't and they drive away laughing and they they call him uh, a derogatory term for homosexual. And so Frank picks up a rock and he throws it at the truck and it busts the window out in the back of the truck and so they flip around and they jump out of the truck with their rifles and they chase him around through the woods. You remember all that? Well, that's these two guys. They're also the same two guys we saw earlier running from the bank. They had just robbed the bank to get the money that they needed to replace the window in their pickup. So they knock Frank to the ground, they pull off his mask, and they think he looks pretty gross. Frank, however, is freaking out now because his face is exposed. And he grabs the mask and he tries to pull it over his head and he's trying to cover himself. And he's basically laying there in a fetal position, just freaking out. And so the dudes are standing over him and they got their guns and they're getting ready to shoot him. But before they do, that clone blob thing that Frank had been chasing, comes up from behind them, and it gets up and it just quickly just fricking covers them up in it's in its goo and they all disintegrate all that's left basically there on the ground is just a little leftover goo and the skeletons of these two guys and frank he's really left with nothing else to do but to cover up the whole mess with leaves he returns to the cabin in failure only to find that the last clone followed frank back And they're able to inject it with the final serum. It seems to work at first, but then the clone starts to deteriorate again. But this time, starting with its head, it runs away because it's not happy with what's happening to it. And it runs to that nearby abandoned drive-in movie theater. It breaks into the snack bar where Frank tries to talk it down. It's like it's on the ground and it just... It's, it's going normal, normal, and Frank's trying to talk to it. It's like, look, dude, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll fix it. it it's going to be okay. But the thing just jumps up, and it slams its head through the glass front of the popcorn machine, and then using the remaining bit of broken glass that's in that frame of the popcorn machine, it cuts off its own head. Frank brings the body back to the cabin, and they sew Flem's head onto the clone, and everything is all right. Everything just worked out in the end. And so now that Flam is no no longer dying, and his little clone adventure is all taken care of, he's ready now to go to Snap City and help Frank with Dr. Boyford. And as the issue is ending, Frank and Dr. Flam are hopping a train, leaving Bonnie and Gale behind, and they're heading into Snap City. So, again, this this issue was like 50 pages. These are double-sized issues. I, I think I mentioned that in the first episode. But these are big issues, obviously. There is a lot that happened. And I will say that that's the, the second issue, the first issue I enjoyed, obviously. The second issue, way more fun. And they're introducing a lot of elements that are still with the comic book. Well, at least up, up to the point that I stopped reading. Bonnie's still around. Gail's still around. We, uh... We do learn later whether or not the uh, bandages that Gail has wrapped around her body actually gets rid of the tattoos. We we learn how that works out. That's going to come up later. And I think Bonnie and Dr. Flem end up being a thing. And now Joe doesn't show up at all in this issue. Joe, if you remember from the previous issue, Frank is madly in love with her. He doesn't remember much about his previous life before he died. But there's something about Joe that strikes a chord with him. And... We get the idea that she knows him as well. So, in this third issue, when we get to that, we're going to learn more about Joe. And I hope you come back for that third issue because, again, this is, if not the, it is one of my favorite comics of all time. There is so much stuff about Frank I like. And it's kind of a weird, I mean, honestly, that just these first two issues, there's kind of this weird dual nature about Frank that kind of pops up because, on the one hand, we start issue one out learning that he has killed a man. And then within the first three pages, he pulls another guy's eyeball out and he eats it. And yet at the same time, he just seems like this super nice, just really helpful, innocent, great guy. He he obviously, based on the journal entry from this book, he can't even cuss. There's something inside him that won't let him say naughty words or at least the F word when the zombie thing, the, the 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 weird, gross phlegm clone thing, pulls the ladder out from under him and he falls off of a freaking drive-in movie theater screen to the ground, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't try to beat this clone up. He tries talking to it. He tries to help it. So it's kind of this weird mixture with Frank and... I feel like from my memories, as we continue forward with the series, with with these three issues, the next three issues, the Dark Horse series, Frank just becomes more and more of a nice guy. I do recall there are times where he does get angry and fights back. But in general, he's just a super nice guy. And I think that's one of the things I like about this title the most. Frank just seems like the kind of guy I would want to hang out with. And he's also a very deep thinker. I think he's kind of playing with this this whole idea that Frank really is a child. Whoever Frank was before he died, he was brought back to life. He was given this new name of Frank Einstein. And so in essence, in, in a lot of ways, he's still a child. He's still new to the world. And he's still kind of learning things. And I think he trusts people when maybe he shouldn't. But I also think when he learns that he can't trust somebody, when somebody proves to him that they are untrustworthy, like... Uh, who was it, Arnie in the first issue? And he tells Arnie to leave town, never come back. But then he finds out that Arnie never did that. Arnie's now on his list. He doesn't, the Arnie, he's done with Arnie. But I also feel that Arnie, if he ever came back into the book, Frank would give him another chance. Because I think that's just who Frank is. So I'm really looking forward to issue three. Again, it's, it's been a long time since I've read these and I'm really having fun reading them again and I'm just I want to just keep reading I want to just stop everything else I'm doing and only read Madman but I know that I can't do that but in my head that's what I want to do more than anything else in the world so issue number three at this the third part of the series as far as these episodes are concerned I don't know maybe it'll end up coming sooner than we think until then my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy be nice to each other because that's what Frank would do